Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. It took some time to just kind of in maturity to, you know, get to a point where you feel comfortable saying, hey, I don't, I don't understand. You know, can you explain that a little better, a little differently? I'm a visual learner. Can you put it up on the board? Draw me some pictures of like a dog and a cat or something. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review on Apple Podcasts from Teeny B. It's entitled chef's kiss. So relatable. I feel understood and I'm not alone. I usually cry happy or sad tears to every episode as I find myself relating to all these amazing women. A must listen and a must share. Thank you, Teeny B. I love knowing that these interviews are helping women feel less alone. And thank you so much for taking the time to give this podcast a review because they really help this little podcast grow and get seen by others wherever they are in their ADHD journey. If you love this podcast and you haven't yet written a review, I really hope you'll consider taking a quick moment. You can stop and do it right now. We will wait for you and head into the Apple podcast app and give a review or even just give it five stars. And if you listen to the podcast on a platform that doesn't allow reviews, then I hope you'll consider sharing the podcast with your friends. You can take a screen grab and share it on social media and make sure to tag me. I'm at women and ADHD podcast on Instagram and at women and ADHD on Twitter or Facebook. If you're a frequent listener of the podcast and you feel like you have finally found your people, then I encourage you to come hang out with us in the Women and ADHD online community. Head over to womenandadhd.com or find the link in the show notes. We would love to have you join us. Again, that's womenandadhd.com. Okay, this is episode 56 in which I interview Amy Brown. Amy is a director of Outbound Transportation for Dollar Tree, where she's responsible for shipping the company's merchandise from their distribution centers to the company's stores. Amy has spent 18 years in the logistics industry in many capacities from loading and unloading container vessels, operating a million square feet of import-export warehousing space, to selling warehousing services. She lives in Yorktown, Virginia with her two sons, and she loves spending time outdoors doing many activities including running, biking, camping, hunting, fishing, and kayaking. Amy and I talk about her experiences with sports growing up. She was a Division I basketball player in college. And looking back, she feels like athletics and an active lifestyle were so helpful in managing ADHD earlier in her life. We also talk about slow processing speed, something quite common for those of us with ADHD, and the various ways in which we both experience it, including the agony of rarely getting other people's jokes. All right, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. First, I want to find out about your diagnosis journey because you are one of the many moms who discovered your own ADHD through helping your child. So tell me about that. 
Yeah, so it was quite the journey. Uh, it was about a year journey culminating in the uh, ADHD diagnosis for my son. And as we were going through that um, and working with a child psychologist on some of his behavioral therapies, um, I recognized that a lot of the symptoms and things that the child psychologist was bringing up, um, you know, I have those things. And I'm like, it's not normal to have a million thoughts in your head. I thought that was. I thought that was normal. I didn't know. Um, you know, it's not normal to have trouble task switching. Oh, you know, so all these things, hyper-focusing, like, I just thought I really focused on things. <laughs> I was really good at stuff I'm interested in. So I think for me, it was just recognizing through that journey with him that I had a lot of the same symptoms and traits. And, you know, I've developed, um, I guess I would say strategies over time to help with those, um, to help me be more successful. But uh, that's really how it came to be. I just figured it out through that and went from there. So your son, was he, uh, was it brought to your attention by a teacher or kind of how was it brought out? Because I feel like, you know, what you're talking about is there's so many positive aspects to ADHD in children, but often the diagnosis comes because they have been disruptive, you know, like it often it comes from like a negative, like we need to fix this point of view. And so I'm curious, was it a teacher who said he was being disruptive or how did that come about? So I would say it started back in preschool and some of the comments we would get is that, oh, he's a really active child. Well, I did not read through the tea leaves that that meant that he may have ADHD. I don't know if they just felt uncomfortable talking about it, um, but I would hear all the time, he's a very active child, meaning he's, he's hyperactive. He's you know all over the classroom. Um, but when we got into kindergarten um, and started working with his teacher, and he is a young, um, he's a young child. So he's right on that edge of, you know, cut off, uh, to go in to even start school. Um, but um, speaking with his teacher, he was having some behavioral issues. Um, he was struggling a bit with uh, the schoolwork in kindergarten. And so we decided to seek the help of a child psychologist because not only was he having and struggling there, and yes, it could be ADHD, but we were also at the time when he started, I was going through a divorce. So that was kind of extra noise on top of it. And so we wanted to identify really what's going on here. Is it the, you know, is it divorce? Um, does he have some sleep issues? Um, and so we worked with the child psychologist to just really kind of work through that over the year. And let's really uh, make sure that, um, you know, this diagnosis is correct and we don't have other noise going on, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that we're all trying to really disseminate, right? Which is what is... ADHD. I mean, is it, is the ADHD just a type of brain that you're born with? And so therefore there's life changes that exacerbate your symptoms, you know, like Correct. motherhood yep. or divorce or, you know, any sort of these are like traumatic life events exacerbate the symptoms or is ADHD, you know, I think I feel like we have this conversation a lot of like, are we being misdiagnosed? Is this just depression and anxiety, you know, like, or where does yeah. this all come back to? And so I think it's really interesting when you're kind of trying to untangle with a child when there's a lot changing in life, but when is life not changing for children? <laughs> so I think, True, like, yeah. right. Like I think a lot of the time is sort of like, maybe when you're born with a certain brain, this is just how you react to certain major life 
you know, some uh, life events as opposed to a neurotypical child who might kind of more go with the flow more. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have Absolutely. answers. I'm just fascinated. And and then my at the end of the day, I feel like the ADHD is the part of us that is endlessly fascinated by all of this and looking into a, like, is. what is it? Is yeah. it this? Is it this? Relentless is it like researcher? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so, okay. So then you, as you were going through this journey with your son, who was six at the time, right? He was, yeah, six at the time. Okay. And how old is he I'm now? Sorry, he was five at the time when we first started. Okay. And so, yes. so you've both been diagnosed now. fairly recently. You said you were diagnosed earlier. Recently. How, when, when were you diagnosed? So I was diagnosed in March. Um, he was diagnosed in January. Of 2021. So pretty, okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So gosh, it's such an intense emotional roller coaster going over everything, right? It is. And then when you look back, you're like, oh yeah, that's what that was. Right. Still to this day, like, oh, now I know why I probably reacted that way. Yeah. Okay. So let's, uh, what, what do you look back on in terms of your earlier childhood or, you know, I know that before, before we talk about high school and basketball, um, like are, when you look back at your younger life, what are some of the, the moments where you're like, oh yeah, the signs were there all along? Yeah. So really, really early on, um, funny enough, when I was in preschool, uh, they actually tested me for a hearing disability because they thought <laughs> I couldn't hear. And it really, it was just, you know, I was zoning out or, um, you know, working on whatever I was working on. And, uh, so they really seriously thought I had a, a hearing issue and I was fine. I could hear, um, it was just, uh, you know, either I didn't follow instructions very well or, um, you know, zoning them out, um, going into early into kindergarten and even first grade, I can remember struggling, um, in school, not necessarily from a behavioral standpoint, but really just the, um, focusing and learning my letters and um, even doing math. And I was I was actually early on in the lowest reading group. So when I was going to school, they had kind of a lower, a mid, and a high reading group, right? And I was in the lowest reading group for the first few years in elementary school. Um, I just, it wasn't clicking for me. Um, and I tend, something I see in my son um, that even occurs with me to this day, and obviously I've gotten better at as, as it, with it as I've gotten older, but um, sometimes when people are talking about complex subjects or um, even just asking a question, it takes a minute for my brain to kind of just resonate with what I was just asked or um, what people are talking about. And I kind of have to sit back and just let it sit in there for a second before I can express, um, you know, how I feel about a subject. But so, and we can talk more about that later, but um, early on I had trouble. Um, I, and it's really, really funny. So when I look back at my kindergarten report card, something else that caught my eye was that they thought I was uncoordinated. So the fact that later on, you know, I'm a division one athlete playing basketball and scholarship, but in kindergarten, they thought I, you know, couldn't put two feet together. It's just kind of comical to me. Yeah. Um, but that happened. Um, and I can remember even in first grade, I think I got a good lesson in learning that I was a visual learner. I was having the hardest time uh, just trying to learn subtraction. And I, I came home, I actually cried about it to my mom. Lucky for me, uh, my mother was changing careers and she was getting ready to graduate with a teaching degree. 
So she sat me down and she just really broke it down visually. And that she just took some pencils and said, Hey, you know, here's five. And when you take away two, there's three left and, and it connected. And I'm like, Oh, that's what that is. I get it. <laughs> so it's really about, um, you know, for me, just learning about, um, what methods work best for me, um, in terms of learning. And I think once I made that connection, um, you know, from there, I started to speed up and learn more quickly. Um, in second grade, I had a wonderful teacher. I went from um, the end of the the last reading group to the first reading group, but she connected with me. She helped me understand, um, you know, it was just visual learning and explaining things. The other thing I'll say is that uh, reading in general, um, and I've heard this from some other folks who have ADHD, but I'm a slow reader. I when I read paragraphs, um, especially early on, I had trouble remembering what I read. I could read it over and over and over again. It would just drive me nuts because I'm like, I'm so sick and tired of reading this. I have to read it again because I don't remember. Um, but having to adopt strategies around that so that you know you can get through your standardized testing and, and all that. So early on, that's some of the things that um, resonate with me. I still manage to uh, kind of early on adopt strategies and and get good grades. It's just those things were more difficult for me than they were for others. Yeah, I liked what you had said about in your email about um, writing in the margins, just a reminder oh, yeah. of I what the paragraphs that, yeah. were, because I mm -hmm. totally used to do that in university as just like, just a, a quick way to go back and be like, okay, where am I as, you know, especially in these, yeah, I took political science. We were always reading these like, you know, novel sized political tomes from the 1600s and it was just <laughs> yep. like I oh yeah I always had to write in the margins um but also like remembering how it was very difficult to decide what was important and what wasn't in textbooks and so like when I would start highlighting I would highlight the entire textbook I remember seeing a meme of like the, you know <laughs> the entire here. page being in yellow yeah. because it's so it was really difficult to kind of mm -hmm. decide and determine you know and prioritize information um, yep. Now, you had also mentioned in your email that both of your brothers were diagnosed as children with ADHD, and yet they it's were. still, was it just like your parents thought it was a boy's disorder, or was it ever so. talked I about? Actually, it was never talked about with me. Um, my, I think maybe the difference is the only thing I can think that maybe helped me is that uh, early on, my mom recognized the need for me to be involved in sports and get that energy out, so and it's kind of funny. I um I tried to do ballet. Uh, that didn't work out for me too much. Uh, it was a little too slow. I really like to be active, and I'm like, I want that stuff. Like, let's go. So, she got me involved in soccer early on, and um, I think you know I was just always on the go. And it, one of the things that you'll read about with ADHD is that exercise um, helps feed kind of that. Uh, dopamine, um, the chemicals that you need. And I was always exercising all the time on the move um, and played a number of different sports growing up from soccer to volleyball to basketball to softball to field hockey to track. So I, I would do several sports at one time. Um, and I think that kind of helped me focus in the moment when I was in school better my um, brothers, on the other hand, they were not um, as active, just wasn't their thing. Um, but um, yes, one of them has uh, ADHD combined, and then the other one has what they would use to call ADD, similar to me, um, ADHD and attentive. 
I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available for clients worldwide, so you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenadhd. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash womenadhd. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Okay, so let's talk about exercise and especially activity with children, because I feel like there is a very clear connection between activity, you know, getting your jiggles out or whatever you want to call it with kids and their ability to focus. And it drives me crazy when I hear about teachers who are punishing children by taking away recess, right? You know, and it just feels like if, you know, perhaps this proliferation in ADHD symptoms is happening because we are expecting children to sit in their desks and we are taking away all of their activity and we're having yeah. these ridiculous expectations of, of them in the classroom. Um, that so, but at the same time, then you think about like a hundred years ago when children did sit very still and behaved and, you know, maybe it's because they were up at four working the farm. I don't know, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) maybe so they were active. So they never had these problems. But like for me personally, just in my own life, like the, um, I always had kind of a hot and cold relationship with exercise until my diagnosis, when I really kind of made that connection where I was like, oh yes, of course, physical activity, especially first thing in the morning is, you know, key to kind of the success of my day and, and in terms of just how I focus and and how I'm able to accomplish things. And it's, so it's become such a non-negotiable for me. It's absolutely something I need to do just like drinking coffee, you know? (laughs) Um, so it's, I think that, yeah, I think a lot of activity and exercise at a younger age can really help curb some of the, you know, more, um, high, hyperactive, uh, or I don't even know what the word is, disruptive symptoms in kids. So you've, you've had that experience. When did you get, um, involved in basketball? So basketball, I actually didn't start playing until the sixth grade. So I was a bit of a late starter. Um, I played soccer since I was five. I even, uh, ran track, um, before I started in basketball in sixth grade. Um, and my father was very athletic, so he was super excited, um, because my older brothers did not play sports, but so he gravitated, uh, to me because I was, uh, very athletic and, and wanted to play in these sports. But, um, you know, I mentioned to him, I'm like, I just, I want to try basketball. I think it would be fun. So, um, I started it and that the rest is really history from there in the sixth grade. So a bit of a late start, but, um, you know, I was lucky to and fortunate to have some good coaches and got pretty good at it. And you feel like now looking back with this new lens of your diagnosis, um, do you feel like 
that was what helped you academically or do you, what do you feel like is a kind of relationship between being in sports and how you performed academically in high school and, and college? And you also did your master's too, right? I did. Yeah. So I think just being active um, in general and, you know, when you're doing several different sports, um, you know, back then I'm not just exercising for 20 minutes, you're exercising for several hours <laughs> across the day because I'm running from soccer practice to track to, you know, whatever practice I had next um, at the same time. Um, I feel like that helped me uh, just focus better um, in school. It also helped me learn some better time management skills that kind of forced it because you have to try to fill every moment of your day with something. Um, you can't, you really can't relax. You, you know, you go from one sport and then we got to throw in, you know, the homework um, at the same time. So I feel like that definitely uh, helped me succeed. And then knowing that, um, you know, when I saw the potential of being able to get a scholarship, knowing that I would need to, you know, make sure I stepped up and get good grades to put myself in a position to do that certainly um, helped as well. Yeah. Oh, those are all great points. So, so, you know, I feel like I've talked about this with guests before the idea of like, if you want something done, give it to a busy person really kind of relates to me when I'm in hyper-focus mode, right? Like it really yep. does help when you have a lot of plates and why we do so well in high stress situations and, and, um, when we have a lot going on, but then also I didn't even think about the, that idea of like the motivation, you know, what, how, how important it is for us to find motivation, um, externalized motivation to get us to do things. And yeah, of course, a scholarship would be a great, <laughs> a great motivating factor for keeping your grades up. And Yeah, absolutely. And then I'll add that, you know, my, um, really just trying to, I was one of those kids that I always wanted to please my parents and, um, you know, with my dad, loving sports. I also, you know, wanted to do well for them as well. So I'd say that was another motivating factor for me. Mm -hmm. But now you also mentioned that your dad passed away when you were in high school, right? So that must've been. He did. Yeah, it was tough. He, um, he got sick um, with a very rare kind of a nerve tumor um, probably when I was in late middle school. So maybe around seventh, eighth grade, mm. um, he didn't pass away, um, until my junior year in high school, but it was really tough. Um, you know, having him, uh, go through that and be sick, but at the same time, um, it also allowed me to have, uh, sports allowed me to have an outlet. And, you know, I also wanted to please him as well because we're, we're going through this, um, you know, just a tough time in your life. I would imagine that that level of activity as well would help with emotional regulation too, right? I mean, I feel like there are ways in which a lot of athletes use sports as an outlet for emotion. Whatever's going on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> or even just people who are like going to the gym, you know, or, or, you know, I often like for me, like, you know, when I have stimulating conversations like these interviews, often I have to yeah. like run around outside, literally go and like run around outside because, like, I, you know, you need to like have that, <laughs> right? That physical um, <laughs> exertion. You worked up. Yeah. 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 No, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, having that outlet. And in addition to that, I think having that support system, um, you know, like I said, I, I played multiple sports even in high school, but just having that support system of, uh, my teammates, you know, while you're going through that as well, um, was very helpful at the time. So I'm curious now with what happened with Simone Biles and the Olympics and kind of 
mental health versus physical health and how it would have been so much easier for her to just say, I injured, you know, my, my tibial fracture or whatever, you know, like it's so much easier to have a, a physical ailment than to really say like, no, I'm, I'm looking after my mental health and knowing that she has ADHD kind of, what do you think about the ways in which we've really kind of come on two sides uh, in terms of some people, you know, really supporting her and others thinking that she just was lazy or did, you know, be you know, all the things that we have said to ourselves, you know, like that's yeah. what I think is so interesting about this whole experience is reading all of these articles and these opinion articles about how she's letting down her nation and how she really just didn't, you know, she threw in the towel and this is a terrible spirit and me being like, Oh my God, that's our internal voice. Like, you know, I'm sure she's saying all of those things to herself anyway. Um, but I'm curious, you know, as an athlete, what what your thoughts are about this whole this whole experience with Simone Biles? So my thoughts are, you know, Simone's an elite athlete. She performs, uh, you know, obviously she's the greatest gymnast of all time. She knows how to perform under pressure. I don't feel like, you know, she mentioned she had the twisties, so her brain's not connected with her body you know, she wants to perform as an athlete. You want to perform. You want to be out on the stage. You want to, um, for me, I want to be playing in the game. I don't want to be sitting on the sidelines. So I think if she has, and, and really I'll say this too, you know, it's really up to her. She knows her body better than anybody else. And I feel like, um, you know, if she's not prepared, um, then I think it's the right thing for her to do from either a mental health aspect or a physical aspect to set aside and say, okay, you know what, I could get seriously injured, which she could be seriously injured, not, um, you know, having her mind connected to her body. And I think it's the right thing for her to do to step aside and recognize that and say, you know what, I need to step aside. I have teammates that can perform Um, maybe not as well as her per se, but she's currently under her current conditions. Those teammates can perform better than her. So let's step aside and give them the chance to shine. That's how I look at it. I think she made the right call for herself. Um, And also, you know, she has ADHD as well. And I, I keep thinking of things of like, wow, so I'm flying over to Tokyo. So I have to fly on this, you know, what, 14, 16 hour plane ride it's completely flipped in terms of, um, you know, when it's noon here, basically it's, you know, midnight there. So a lot of the athletes I felt in general to me look kind of tired. Um, and just all the things that she's going through, plus she's with the ADHD on top and, you know, the medication and everything else, I can understand where she may have been disconnected and, you know, things like that pop up. Um, so, I look at it as she's an elite athlete. If she could compete, she would have competed. She couldn't. And I think she did the right thing for her and her body um, and made the right decision there. And you can even see in the last, um, the vault that she participated in at the end where she was able to come back, she didn't do any twisting elements whatsoever. Um, So it's obvious to me if um, she could, she would have. She couldn't, you know, so that's how I look at that. Well, and I think like too, after a year and a half of COVID and the pandemic and the Olympics being delayed a year and dealing, you know, with Black Lives Matter and just like everything that we have gone through over the last year and a half, like, of course, you're not going to be performing at your peak level. Like who, like, we don't even know what 
you know, none of us, we're all still trying to figure out what our new normal yeah, is. And we're all so like, I can't even imagine what it must be like to be an Olympic athlete at this moment and to be thrust. Yeah. Like you said, a, across the world where day is night and having to perform at peak level. And so I find it so fascinating that there's such this, that there has been a backlash, you know, because it feels like, you know, there is some element to being an elite athlete where it's like, you have to push through the pain at all times. And that's part of your, you know, your, your identity is pushing through the pain because when you do push through the pain and you get the gold, then it's all worth it. You know, that there's no other outcome you have to at all costs. And so now all of these gymnasts who are coming out and being like, yeah, I was forced to, you know, perform with a broken foot and it destroyed my life. And like all of these ways in which (laughs) we're kind of, right. Like we're kind of like deconstructing, maybe this isn't the healthiest way to be treated. Yeah, this is probably not a good idea. Let's uh, back up though. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so it does, it's, I don't know. I think it's very fascinating. Um, and then not only that, but she was, her meds were not allowed to, right? Like she's whatever meds she's taking for ADHD, she wasn't allowed to take in Tokyo. And so there's that element. Yeah, too. I think and, it's, um, I think I read that we're not sure. So like in Tokyo, oh, okay. it's illegal, but they were going to make exemptions for certain athletes, but it's a little bit unclear whether she was able to or not. I well, mean, I can imagine that if she wasn't able to, that would certainly really throw you off. I don't know what she was taking, but I also feel like I'd be really surprised if Olympic athletes were able to take stimulants at all. You know, it just feels like those would be on the, um, banned substance list from the beginning when it comes to performance enhancement drugs. But I, I don't know much about that. It <laughs> that is, but they sign. can get exemptions. And I okay. think she has an exemption. Yeah. Oh, so I think several athletes, um, that from what I read anyways, that have ADHD are able to, um, still take it with the exemption. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, I'm sure it must be fascinating from your point of view to kind of, like I said, have this new lens, um, looking back at just athletics in general. It does. It's, um, it, it is fascinating and looking back and I'm like, man, thank goodness I did exercise. I probably would have, uh, not done so well in school without it. Yeah. So and now when you had also mentioned about, you know, the the difficulty of having when you had young children and going through a divorce and also not having time to yourself and not being able to exercise. And again, it was sort of like feeling like your life was out of control. And I've talked a lot with guess about how much I struggled when my kids were younger and how I feel like I was misdiagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety simply because oh gosh, where do I start? I I didn't have sleep. I didn't have help. I didn't know how to ask for help. And just like feeling like, again, it's another part of my life where I'm sorting out, you know, what was ADHD? What was new motherhood? What was, you know, just needing a good night's sleep? And, And also feeling like, you know, wanting to give mothers of young children a hug all the time. Because I know, it's right? So when hard. I see it, I'm like, I feel you. I know. It I is so hard. And then <laughs> and then to hear, you know, like women who have young children and are going through this incredibly difficult time and are sorting through, well, maybe I have an ADHD, you know, maybe I have ADHD and going for a diagnosis and being told by their medical provider, like, no, lower your expectations. You're just a new mom. This is just what life is like, you know, and being totally dismissed by medical professionals. Um, and again, I think it's another time in your life where I'm like, I think, you know, we just have a certain type of brain that 
that implodes at certain times of our life that are super stressful, like parenthood. So um, what, now thinking back about your that time in your own life, do you feel like all you needed was to just go out for a run and everything would have been fine? Or, or do you feel like they're... Um, I don't even know what I'm asking. I guess, you know, what, what kind of revelations have you had about your own ADHD when it came to that time of your life? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when you juggle young children, um, especially that are only two and a half years apart, maybe that wasn't a good idea after Mm -hmm. all. Um, (laughs) uh, it is very challenging. And when I look back on it, um, I think, especially after the second child, not, it wasn't quite as as um, noticeable with the first, um, but with the second, I just felt like I, I'm, I'm not together. I'm disorganized. I felt um, I couldn't, uh, you know, I wasn't able to get that exercise in like I would like to. Um, and I just felt like, you know, I just didn't have things together. I don't know if that makes sense, but it oh, just, God, uh, yes. you know, I didn't feel organized. I felt like I had no time. I'm like, uh, I got to clean the house. I got to do this. I'm over here. What are we doing? Um, it was just very difficult, um, you know, versus today, fast forward, they're a little older, a little more, you know, independent. They're four and six now. Um, it's a little easier. It's a lot. It's just wonderful. They're really fun. Um, it's a fun age that I'm going through right now with them. And, um, I feel like I, I'm kind of like, okay, we're getting it back. You know, um, I feel more organized. Um, you know, I can plan a little better. I know we're not the best planners, but I can plan a little better. Um, and and I guess that's, that's what I'll say about that. It's just when they're young, it is really difficult, you know, trying, you're getting no sleep on top of it. Um, and it's hard to manage. Yeah. It's funny because I had this um, moment with one of my husband's aunts. I think my first was like a year old. So I completely agree that the second was way worse and just in terms of organization and executive function and and anxiety too. I feel like I had so much more anxiety around my second one and still do, um, even though he's 10. But (laughs) I remember like after when my first was a year old and, and one of them, one of my husband's aunts, like just making small talk and being like, so how's life with a baby? And I was like, it's really hard. And, (laughs) and cause I didn't know what else to say. And she just looked at me and she was like, really, I don't remember it being that hard. And I, and that was one of those moments I will never forget because I was, I, up until that point had felt like my experience was everyone's experience. And that was the first time that I realized that like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm struggling more than the average. More than everybody else. Right. Yeah. But I also thought, you know, that she, Kate, her children came from a different decade where all of the family lived together. And, you know, like they all, I, I had a situation where I was um, very far away from all of my family, you know? And so I didn't feel like I had a lot of help. Whereas I, I sort of chalked that experience with her up to just like, oh, you know, you lived in a neighborhood where your mom was always around to help and you could always dump your kids on other people. And, um, but again, like, you know, that yeah. that feeling that we always have back going back and forth between like, wait, doesn't everybody feel this way? <laughs> and yeah. then trying to parse <laughs> out like I thought. I'm like, hey, this is I guess this is it. This is normal, right? So maybe yeah. we're just I feel like a lot of ADHD folks, we just don't really complain. We just kinda like, oh, we just gotta figure this out and 
um, don't realize that we're we're maybe having a tougher time than than other folks at, while we're going through it. Right. Well, I often think that that might have something to do with processing speed too, because I I feel a lot of the time like when things are going really quickly, like it's you 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 are just kind of like going along on the speeding train and you don't really know what's happening. You're just trying to keep up a lot of the time and like. Um, and I think that has to do, you know, on the one hand, when you're in a situation where there's a lot of urgency and kind of an emergency situation, you do really well because you can keep up and you can start doing things really quickly. But for the most part, I think a lot of that has to do with, with our slow processing speed. And, and even though we can make really fast connections and we talk really quickly and there's a lot of that hyperactivity, I think you really hit on something when you were talking about, um, you know, how you, you've got that, like, I've talked about it with my kids where I'm like, I have a a foyer in my brain. Right. So I'm like the, the thoughts come and they hang out in the the lobby yeah, (laughs) and then it takes a minute for them to actually get into the main part of the building for me to actually like listen. So I'm like, I can hear things, but then it takes a moment before I've actually listened to the thing. And, and so you had mentioned it in in reference to jokes, right? Where you're like, (laughs) I get so worried when somebody says like, Oh, I'm going to tell you a joke. And I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) That's what I'm, that's how I feel inside. And I just smile and I'm like, okay, tell me a joke, you know, but I, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm not going to get it. Cause I, yeah. I just don't get them. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but um, you know, somebody will tell me a joke and it'll take a few minutes for it to like click most times that, oh, that's what was funny. I've even had somebody tell me a joke and I may be driving in the car later. And, you know, to be polite, I laugh at the time, like, oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, and then later on it hits me and I'm like, oh, that's what that was. And I kind of chuckle about it, but yes, that happens to me. And I, and I will say, you know, um, something else that's a little bit, um, that helped me recognize after I learned of my ADHD diagnosis, some of the feedback I've gotten um, from supervisors in the past is like, hey, we, we want you to speak up more in meetings. Well, when I'm in meetings, I have to really focus on what that individual is saying. And it takes a minute to kind of come into my brain, like I've said, and understand what they've said. And then come back with, okay, this is how I feel about that. And I don't necessarily, it doesn't click real quick um, like it may with some of my colleagues. Um, So it's not, I have plenty to say. Uh, (laughs) It's just, it takes a second. Um, So I've tried to also get a little bit more, um, I I guess I would say uncomfortable. Um, We're being comfortable with being uncomfortable even in a work setting with, okay, maybe my brain doesn't need all that time to, let it sit. It's okay to just kind of go with what you're thinking, if that makes sense, to try to speed that up a bit so I can provide some feedback um, when I can. Mm-hmm. So being a little more risky, um, you know, rather than waiting for me to fully let it set in and, and think about it, I'll, I'll come up with an idea and go, okay, and then try to get that out. And I think that's one thing that has really helped me with this diagnosis is just being aware of like, how you operate and then what you need in order to operate efficiently, you know? And so a lot of the time it was, it was shifting from this constant mindset of like, Oh my God, something's wrong with me. What's wrong with me? I can't do this to now. I I approach every interaction with like, okay, what, what is, what's the breakdown here? Or like, you know, what do I need to help me 
have peak performance or, you know, like just examples, like with the processing speed, like, you know, the other day I had my, my cat is sick. And so I've been dealing with the vet and like dealing with Mm -hmm. the phone calls a lot of the time. And, you know, he's throwing information at me so quickly. And I'm in this super stressed out mode where I need, you know, in the, in the past, I would have been like, oh my God, there's so much information. And I'm not, I, I didn't write it down and I don't remember what it is, but now I'm too embarrassed to call him back. And all this, you know, all of these ways in which I would have turned into a chaotic situation. Whereas now yep. I don't have to say to him, I have ADHD, so I need you to do the X, Y, and Z. But I can say to him, like, you're throwing a lot of information at me right now. Is there some way that you could email me this information or can we go over it again because I know I'm not going to remember it. And so there's like just these like tiny ways in life where I can kind of advocate for myself where I never used to be able to. Right. And so I feel like, yeah, in, in a business situation, it must be very helpful to now know, okay, you're sort of like, all right, I have listen mode and then I have talk mode (laughs) and, (laughs) and how can I better shift from one of those to the other? Right. And, and so it's, it's, I think so much of, so much of the kind of quote unquote treatment, of my ADHD for me has been understanding what's going on and then finding the ways to advocate in the moment as opposed to like immediately going to a state of overwhelm. I agree. And that actually resonates with me because I've become, I'd say over the past few years, just much more confident. And I used to, for example, in a work meeting, if somebody had something really complex that they were talking about and I didn't understand it, I would go and find a friend and be like, hey, with my notebook, can you tell me what they said Um, or help me better understand? And now um, just having more confidence and understanding me more, I'm not afraid to say, hey, you know what, you just threw out some kind of crazy math formula (laughs) a little too fast for me, and I need to write that down. Can you uh, slow down and and let's understand that? I'm not afraid to say, hey, I didn't get that. Let's, can we talk through that a little more so I can um, just kind of absorb what you're saying? So that resonates with me quite a bit, Mm -hmm. what you just said. And do you think that that's from the diagnosis or you think it's just getting older as a woman? Because I feel like white men have had that privilege their whole life. Like they've never had to be like, I'm not the smartest person in the room. So if I don't understand something, I need you to stop and tell me <laughs> like they, that confidence is like inbred in them. But I feel like as a woman, you know, we have a lot of that insecurity, especially in the workplace where it's like, oh God, I, you know, I have something to prove. So if I don't understand something, it's up to me to go Google it later and figure it out on my own, as opposed to saying, Hey, you know, you need to do a better hey, job it. of explaining it to me. Yeah, exactly. I think maybe a combination of both. I'll say that I started kind of that technique more before I found out, but it Mm -hmm. took me a while to get there and to have that confidence to go, okay, you know, maybe others aren't getting this either, um, but they're doing a very good job of putting on the game face, like they're getting this. But so I'm just going to speak up and I agree with you. It took some time to just kind of immaturity to, um, you know, get to a point where you feel comfortable saying, Hey, I don't, I don't understand, you know, can you explain that a little better, a little differently? I'm a visual learner. Can you put it up on the board? Draw me some pictures of like a dog and a cat or something. And and, and I can understand. Um, So I think I got there very close or just prior to figuring out like, Oh, ding, ding, ding. This is an ADHD thing, I think. So Uh, made the connection afterwards, but maybe got there a little sooner because of um, just being an older woman, so to speak. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of what this comes down to is sort of having a confidence in your own intellect, which is something that when you are, you know, 
when, especially if you struggled academically, like I did, you know, there's a sense that like, you don't really, you have so much self-doubt when it comes to your, how bright you are. And, and so, you know, I feel like that has followed me throughout my life. And so now it's only now that I, maybe it's an age thing, maybe it's an ADHD thing, but again, it's that idea of like, I'm having more confidence in my abilities, you know, and my intellect so that I can advocate for myself. Yeah. It's so, so yeah, and again, I'm like, that. it's so interesting to to obsessively think about it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the ADHD. I'm with you, and you know, I think about when I was younger, um, just not having that confidence, and now I'm like, I why did I think I couldn't do this subject? Like, I can do this subject. I just need to teach myself a little differently, maybe than somebody else learns. But I have, you know, I'm like, I'm a smart person. I can do this. But, you know, maybe in my 20s, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do math class because I don't get math. And now I I feel like I'm not afraid to tackle, you know, those kind of things. I know. Right. Yeah. Although yeah. I did start I did take up parkour with my son recently and I'm really regretting okay. that decision. <laughs> Just like <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, I couldn't even lift my arms over my head after my first class. And I was like, maybe I need to take the confidence down a notch. I am still aging. <laughs> uh, but we have that. And, you know, I feel like that is another thing with ADHD. We have a very, you know, we have such this childlike energy about new things that we we tend to be more youthful than our peers. We do. I agree. Um, yeah, we we can definitely research something until the cows come home. It's it's pretty intense when I uh, get on a subject. Um, I'll even say recently I uh, random thought because I'm full of those and I've always been full of those. But I um I went with some friends and I have a hybrid bike and they have these road bikes and um, I love the ride that we had, but I had trouble keeping up with them because I'm on this kind of slower bike and they're on these really fast road bikes. And so I uh, researched road bikes like to death for like, you know, days before I decided like, this is the road bike I'm going to get because it has this feature and that feature and you become an expert road biker overnight. (laughs) Oh, I know. Absolutely. Right. Hyper-focus. If you prefer listening to your books like I do, then I have some great news for you. My book, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, is now available as an audiobook. In the book, I share my own sordid history with yo-yo dieting and binge eating and how I finally broke free. I also break down the six essential steps that helped me finally find food and body freedom. If you're sick and tired of the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle, and you are ready to heal your relationship with food and your body, you're gonna wanna drop everything and listen to my book. It is a game changer, if I do say so myself. Reviewers have called it inspiring, insightful, amazing, refreshingly honest, and a must read for anyone for whom the dieting cycle has failed. So now you can find Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom on Audible or iTunes or Amazon or wherever you find your audiobooks. Happy listening. I guess I didn't get to ask you what you love about your ADHD, although I feel like we've been talking about it kind of throughout. But in terms of um, your business, because you had mentioned that you really love the supply chain industry and you felt like it was a good fit for your ADHD. So why don't you talk to me about what you do and kind of why, you know, we're always looking for like, what are ideal careers for people with ADHD? And it feels like you have, you definitely are in one. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm very passionate about logistics. Um, so currently I'm a director of outbound transportation for Dollar Tree, um, Family Dollar. 
And But prior to that, just really in the logistics industry, I think in general, there's so many different aspects that you can get into and learn. And if I look back on my career, I've gone from um, running warehouses to running vessel operations um, down on a pier um, with big cranes and really cool equipment um, to now being on the transportation side of things. So I think there's just so many different aspects of it. I mean, you have railroad, you have inboard export that you can learn. Um, and if you think about uh, when you go to Walmart, you can pick any product um, on the shelf or really anything um, and how that came to be. To me, that fascinates me to understand that they, they took all these different raw materials to start with, you know, to get turned into different widgets and eventually get put together to make a product. And then that product makes its way to the shelf uh, to be sold to you. Um, I just find that fascinating. And uh, being in the industry and just learning all the different aspects um, to me has been very helpful to my brain because I've been able to learn um, new things um, and new parts of it um, as I've gone through my career. Yeah, right. A lot of moving parts. And again, like like we said, like being lifetime lifetime learners, I think. Um, but yeah, looking back at my career in journalism, I'm like, oh yeah, of course that makes sense. Like every day is a new day and every article is a brand new topic. And I have to like become an expert in that topic in a very short period of time. And it was so interesting, you know, always learning in that way um, makes so much sense to me. So yeah, I, I can see why being in a situation where there's so, you know, managing so many moving parts and also like thinking about like the, the macro element to these products, um, would be so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is very fascinating. It's been a lot of fun so far, um, being in the industry. How long have you been working for Dollar Tree, Family Dollar? working with them for about two and a half years. Okay. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's like, you know, my informal, um, polling, I feel like we tend to switch jobs every two to three years. <laughs> and ha have you dealt with that element of like trying to keep the newness in your career? Um, I would say a lot of what has driven me, I think Yes, to some degree. I'll, so short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> but I also have found that, um, you know, in order to move up, you had to just really grab hold of the opportunities that are given to you um, and take advantage of that. And so for me, a lot of the times why I have moved on from a company just has to do to the opportunities that I'm given um, to move up within the world and um, experience uh, transportation or supply chain in a different way. So each and every time I have loved every company that I've worked for, they have certainly given and all my bosses have given me, um, you know, different things that I've been able to learn and take to the next journey in my career. Uh, but, you know, Hey, if an opportunity presents itself and it makes sense, uh, you know, you're going to gravitate towards that. So I think even, you know, I, I marvel at my neurotypical husband's ability to stay with the same company for decades. Um, but I also think that he changes, you know, he, he gets a lot of promotions and like his, his job is changing uh, on a regular basis. So I feel like maybe that's just human nature that we need to change a lot. But I know looking back at my experience, often I 
would like quit a job in rage after two years because I couldn't, I, I can't take direction very well. And so often it was like, I had issues with management, you know, like I had issue with my boss or I had issue with the publisher or somebody, you know, there was some part where I was like, that's it. And my impulsivity side uh, and my compulsive side would just be like, that's it. I quit, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> and then I think now um, looking back at it, I'm like, that's a real ADHD tax. Cause that affects your income potential. Right. I mean, like, there's so many ways in which uh, we have, there's hidden ways in which we have a lot of taxes on us um, in the traditional workplace environment and why I think a lot of us end up becoming entrepreneurs. But then there's like all sorts of barriers to being an entrepreneur too, because you have to be a self-starter and you have to be motivated and all these things that, again, we can get burnout and I don't know. I do think though, you know, there is something to that. When I think back um, earlier on in my career and as you kind of progress and move up, you know, you're a little more, um, you have less responsibility. And then as you kind of earn the trust of others, you, you move up into management positions. And I could see where, um, you know, where maybe I would jump to the next position because it was an opportunity, but also because, Hey, you know what, you're probably going to be a little more micromanaged, um, lower down, you know what I mean? If you're in a, yeah. a lower position, um, and as you, um, you know, go up into other management roles and where I'm at today, you know, I'm very much allowed the, I guess called independency to kind of run, uh, you know, my operation. Um, and, you know, they trust me to do that. And so I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, I love my job. I, I love where I'm at now. And, um, you know, I have that, I'll call it entrepreneurial kind of spirit going on in my current position where I can, um, you know, I'm given that flexibility to run it um, and the trust to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe that's another reason why, too, you would um, I would look to move up into the next level role. And again, I think, it, you know, it just helps to sort of have that awareness of, of like, OK, this is what I like to do. This is what I don't like to do. I think self-awareness is so key for us in this Absolutely. journey. I want to take a minute to let you know about the new women and ADHD online community. One thing I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is, wow, these interviews make me feel so much less alone. And I totally agree. I believe finding our people and sharing our lived experiences is such an integral part of successfully managing our ADHD. So I've put together this online community for listeners of the podcast where we can come together in a safe, intimate environment and make friends and obsessively ponder our neurodivergent brains with other brilliant like-minded women. And we never have to apologize for simply being ourselves. With your membership, you also have access to all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, written transcripts of the episodes, and a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom. You also have the option to upgrade at any time in order to participate in regular body doubling sessions and live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we discuss life with our ADHD brains. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join us or find the link in the show notes. All right. I hope to see you there soon. So now have you thought about what you might rename ADHD since it's such a problematic uh, um, acronym for so many of us? I, I have. Um... You know, the attention deficit and then uh, 
disorder at the end doesn't bother me as much, but I was thinking attention deficit regulation disorder. Um, maybe it's, to me, it's more of, we can focus. Um, it's about uh, how do we control that focus? So how do we regulate that? You know, we either go over the top or we don't do enough. Um, Versus, you know, in addition to that with, you know, I think of the traditional ADD and now they've rolled it into the ADHD um, kind of, you know, set, I guess, in the psychological textbooks that they have now. Um, you know, not everybody is hyperactive per se. They could, you know, just be attention deficit disorder. Um, but we throw that in there anyways and we call it, you know, inattentive type. Um, so to me, I was thinking attention deficit, maybe regulation disorder something a little I know it's not that creative, but just something a little different. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I know. I feel like we do not have a deficit of anything. We, we have an abundance <laughs> no. of everything. It's a matter of regulating it. Yeah. And I feel like from all the women that I've been interviewing, I feel like everybody is hyperactive in their own way. You know, even though I so agree. many of us don't relate to the physical element of the hyperactivity, like we're just the way our brains like ping pong back and forth and all yeah. of the, you know, the way it exhibits itself in anxiety feels like hyperactive or impulsivity. Activity, impulsive shopping like there's ways in which I think uh, uh, we have a little piece yeah, yeah right absolutely. it's it's the internalized hyperactivity that we all do that we just never really made that connection we never really realized um oh right okay that makes sense yes okay I do have that like for me it was like road rage I that was the big connection for me when that my I was getting my diagnosis and she was asking me like how I feel when I'm waiting in line or in traffic and I'm like I feel like I want to tear oh, the steering gosh. wheel out of you know like I was like oh right yeah You're I guess so that right. and quick to anger is kind of an is kind of a hyperactive element yeah okay I see it now I'm, I'm kind of thinking you know what resonates with me there is that I've been in uh, mostly operational roles throughout my career career and in an operational role, you have a sense of urgency to get something done right now. Yeah. Um, and it just drives you completely crazy when you can't get it done right now. <laughs> so you do have that sense of urgency. And I do feel like, um, you know, maybe that's why I've been able to be successful in those roles because of that. Yeah. Right. You want to get it done now standing in line. It's like, yeah, it doesn't translate very well. It, no, <laughs> it, it also leads to, it uh, also leads to some compulsive online shopping. But uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> I need everything it immediately. Does. You know, now I, I have to. Um, I asked my boyfriend, like, okay, so I think I'm having a moment of impulsivity. Do you think I really need this? No, I don't. <laughs> I didn't think so either. But you know, you try to justify it, though, right? You're like, oh, I need a new bike to go riding so I can be faster. Um, even for me recently. Um, so it does happen. Um, I love it. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a stimulating conversation. I'm going to go run around in my yard. Um, but yeah, I really, uh, <laughs> I'm so glad you reached out and I'm so glad you found the podcast too. And... Yeah, I love it. And it's been fun. No, I thank you for having me on. And you know, again, I, I love your podcast. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. 
If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.